Hello and welcome to the Conscious Health and Life podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Louise, naturopath, and my aim for this podcast is to open your mind and help you to be empowered with your health. I interview experts in their field to discuss everything and anything health-related, mind, body, and spirit. I'm so happy to have you here. Let's get started. Hey there, today I have the amazing Tom Cronin with me, who is a coach, meditation teacher, author, speaker, and producer of The Portal Film. So thank you so much for joining me today, Tom. Great to be here. Looking forward to our time together. Yeah, I met Tom, just a bit of background, I met Tom when I just went and did a meditation weekend with him, and it was super life-changing, and I've had um, really interesting things progress from learning meditation, the style of meditation that you teach. And yeah, so I just wanted to say thank you so much first off. And I've just been, yeah, really excited to talk to my clients and my people all about the amazing things that I've learned, not even just about the physical practice of it, but the whole behind the scenes that you teach as well, which I find really helpful. Yeah, great. I'm looking forward to diving in with all of that. You know, it's a big passion of mine and it was one thing that changed my life and I can see it so many times changing so many other people's lives and it's just such a simple but powerful process. Yeah. I'm wondering first off if you could share with us how you first actually got into doing meditation yourself and then becoming a teacher. Yeah, you know, I was in a very stressed place and, you know, Dr. Bruce Lipton from Stanford University Medical School says that 95% of all sickness is a result of stress. And when we want to really look at what sickness is, we're talking about physical and mental because they're both interconnected. And I think it's taking us a long time to realize that those two are intertwined. And I had, um, you know, extreme mental stress uh, and nervous system stress, but that was eventually translating into a physiological stress as well. And so I was uh, experiencing a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of panic attacks, a lot of addictions whilst I was a broker. Now, we've got to look at why I was getting those things. And that's because I was in this extreme stress response in my body, which was sympathetic nervous system. I had a huge high adrenaline, high octane type of job, which was on a trading room floor like Wolf of Wall Street. And then at nighttime, we'd be out sort of nightclubs, restaurants, wine bars, you know, a lot of late nights drinking, a lot of drugs, a lot of partying. Um, and so this accumulation of stress in the body as the body's coping to deal with these intense situations on a daily basis and the compounding effect of that over time really deteriorates our state of physical, mental and emotional wellness. And so that was happening to me very quickly, but I didn't realize that that's what was happening. You just normalize to living in this sort of substandard type of existence. And this accumulated over time as I ignored those symptoms. And the beautiful thing with stresses and sickness, both of them, stress and sickness, are great mechanisms to guide us to correct an imbalance, but we tend to ignore the symptoms. And so when we <laughs> ignore symptoms, the symptoms just get worse. It's not like they go away. Mm. And so mine just exacerbated and exacerbated. till eventually um, this culmination of these imbalances eventually uh, led to a very deteriorated state of wellness for me. It was a, a very dark night of my life, uh, dark night of the soul, mm -hmm. where I ended up having a, kind of like a nervous breakdown, mental health and, and um, sort of nervous system breakdown, where the system just wasn't coping with the demands that I was putting it under. 
this mm. is what we call in engineering terms a bifurcation point where the, the system just couldn't take any more of the load and that was a pretty intense time for me but um it was interesting at that time that i came across meditation that was actually in a documentary i was watching on tv at home and um, they were talking about meditation and it was like this light bulb moment for me where i realized having never come across meditation never being exposed to meditation and this was in 1996 so meditation wasn't really a mainstream thing then but it was like this moment of discovering something that i knew i needed to have in my life and that was really the starting point where i started to do a lot of research into meditation and different centers around sydney that were teaching it and that's where i, I learned meditation mm, wow so amazing and then did you end up staying because i know that a lot of the time when you find these specific practices that help you so much it can change your whole life but you stayed in the same job right yeah i actually went on so i'd been 10 years in the job with this really extreme sort of stress response to the situation mm. and then after i learned to meditate um it reduced that stress response so the situation itself didn't change i was still in yeah. work doing the same things but my nervous system my physiology my mental and emotional state was responding to the situation in a much calmer way without having that huge disturbance. And this is really one of the great messages why I do a lot of corporate work is help companies to have their staff not have to leave their job just because the mm. job's difficult, but to actually be in the job, but not get overwhelmed or stress response to the situation. Mm. And so for me, I managed another 16 year, more years in that career doing the same job. Wow. Um, That's really cool. Very successfully. Yeah, I really like that story because that's kind of how I try to explain things to my clients. Like, you know, I wish I could just wave my magic wand and make the stressful thing go away, but it's more about learning how to teach your body to be able to deal with stress better and be able to have those outlets, like being able to let things, let things go out of the body rather than the resistance. Yeah. Look, human potential is immense. But what compromises or impede human potential is the lack of adaptive capacity. Mm. And that causes a stress response. So the stress response is the inability to adapt successfully to circumstances and situations. And the thing is that life is so uncertain and it's so inconsistent and it's so unstable. Pandemics, parents getting sick, uh, you know, rates rising, Bitcoin collapsing, who knows, right? There's something going to happen. You know, someone saying they love you, someone saying they don't love you, all these sorts of things, your children getting sick. Yeah. And so our ability to be in the world and successfully navigate through these inconsistencies and instabilities in a stable way is actually critical for our own health and wellness. Mm -hmm. But we've got this very deep code that circumstances and events are the source of happiness or circumstances and events are the source of your suffering. And that code is what we watch, you know, it's riddled all the way through Netflix. It's riddled in every TV show, every drama, every movie. And that's how we make interesting emotional roller coaster movies and drama shows because we see people constantly having these peaks and troughs. But what we wanna do is break ourselves away from that code and start to realize that there is a stability and there is an unruffability within us. It's just that are we connecting to that? Now we're stabilizing that so we can be in the world whilst there's instabilities but be stable in it yeah and have those practices so you know i find that a lot of people kind of have to hit the rock bottom before they do something about it but when you have these practices 
you can be implementing them every day so you don't get to that bottom rock bottom point right yeah yeah you know I, i've been doing some work with some companies recently and um why they brought me on was because uh, i was talking to them about some of the programs that they currently have in place and the programs they have in place are to deal with people and situations once they have the stress response i said by the time you're getting your staff into the stress response and then dealing with the problem they're too far gone that stress mm -hmm. response is already affecting their physical mental and emotional health yeah what we want to really look at is preventative measures to mm -hmm. reduce this the, their response give them greater adaptive capacity give them greater um you know uh brain potential whilst they're in those challenging situations yeah that's so true and so i remember an analogy that you spoke about on the weekend um, sessions that I did about how meditation can help to reduce the stress load. So do you mind sharing that again? Yeah, this was a study done at a university in America and they were measuring the, uh, the stress load that a person takes on on a daily basis and how much we need to remove of that accumulated stress response. And if, if we don't uh, remove it and the accumulating effects of it, what that does to us. And what they found was that the average person, the average day, and this was going back in the 90s, so it's probably a little bit different today, but the average person on the average day would take on about 14 units of stress. And that was just wear and tear that happens through the day. We tend to think of stress as running late for a meeting or mm -hmm. having a deadline for a university assignment, but stress is simply wear and tear. And the situations and circumstances are really inconsequential. It's just a matter of how much wear and tear are daily situations affecting us. And so what they found was as we go through the day, we accumulate this stress load. And by the time it gets to sort of nine, 10, 10 11 o'clock at night, we really need to lie down for about a third of the day, you know, seven to eight hours to repair and restore and remove that accumulated stress. So what they found was that 14 units would come in while we're in activity for two thirds of the day, and lying down horizontally in sleep for about one third of the day would remove roughly around 10 units of stress. And so we have this compounding accumulative effect of stress building up, which is why we age, it's why we get sick, it's why we get cranky, it's why we get tired, it's why we get anxious, it's why we get depression, it's why we get bipolarism, ADHD, trauma, PTSD, and why we've got two out of four people in America currently on pharmaceutical drugs. And so we've got this huge distortion happening in our society. And why it's getting greater and greater is because what we're seeing is that the stress load in the daily basis being accumulated and exacerbated as time goes on because the demands are getting greater. The rapid amount of change, the amount of overload of information on our technologies uh, more and more. But then also we're compromising our sleep as well. We tend to find people are staying up much later. We're on our phones. We're, we're keeping our Wi-Fi modems on. We're having lighter sleeps. Where our dream states are a little bit distorted. And we're finding that the sleep um, process is becoming really, really, um, I guess, inconsistent and impaired because of what's happening with our world today. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing these increasing stress loads and imbalances building up over time. What they found was with this particular style of meditation, the, the deep transcending meditation or Vedic meditation, was that it's so effective and so deep. And this is where I want to clarify, it's much, much deeper than some of the mindfulness practices. Yeah. much more effective than some of those guided meditations where we're doing visualizations or gratitude or chakra clearing all those sorts of things so this deep transcending meditation puts the mind and body into such a profoundly deep state of restfulness that what they found was that they were removing around four units of stress 
in a 20 minute meditation. And so the physiological indicators were quite profound as to how much of the restoration and repair was happening in that 20 minute window. And so they found now that for the average person taking on 14 units of stress, removing 10 units of stress with a good seven to eight hours sleep, removing four units of stress with a meditation gives them a net sum square for the day. Mm-hmm. But if they do another meditation, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, what they found was that they're removing another four units of stress. And so now we're starting to eat into these banked up stored stresses that have been accumulating through the lifetime. Mm-hmm. We start to clear the slate over time when we meditate. Yeah, that's so cool. I kind of imagine it like a cup getting really, really, really full over the day and then having like the tap at the bottom. And that's mm-hmm. why I imagine my meditations is just kind of letting everything go from the day and but also clearing it out in the morning so that you have a beautiful fresh start and you can just actually have a clear mind and energy and you know getting those dopamine hits from a different place rather than waking up and just scrolling on your phone like so many people um, tend to do (laughs) I do sometimes (laughs) (laughs) it's such a sustainable way um, for me, it was just a game changer because, you know, my body in the sympathetic nervous system state was producing high amounts of cortisol, adrenaline and norepinephrine. And I had very limited, if any, levels of serotonin, oxytocin and melatonin. So melatonin went into sleep, as you know, and I couldn't sleep. I had chronic insomnia, uh, oxytocin, the biochemical for love. You know, you're very depleted in that experience of connectivity and empathy and compassion because you're so self-obsessed in your own narcissistic stress state. And then, of course, serotonin, you can't feel happy when you're in the stress response. And this is a very simple design in the body to protect you from warring tribes or go into battle and protect your family from a dangerous situation. But does it really serve us when we come home from a day on an office uh, on a trading room floor and we're going to integrate with uh, a healthy, happy meal with our family and um, have that deep sense of connection and lovingness? And so... um, yeah, it, it really is such an important way to reset the system, I find. Mm. And I think that um, just going back to how you said about, you know, the meditations kind of filling your cup and being able to help to reduce those stress loads and get the fulfilment from that way, I think that that was a really interesting point about how we can get our fulfilment from two different two different places as well, whether it's from external or internal. And I suppose from your story, it seemed like previously you were getting a lot of that um, fulfillment from external modes, which is what people can do through, you know, food, you know, drugs, other people, you know, all of these things. So it's just so cool how meditation can flip you into getting your dopamine and everything internally. Yeah, you know, we, what we crave is an elevated experience, but what we think we crave are the things that cause the elevated experience. Mm-hmm. So shopping can cause an elevated experience. Watching Netflix can cause an elevated experience. Taking drugs can cause an elevated experience. Having coffee, um, scrolling through Instagram. All of the interaction with life is a trigger mechanism for what we're craving, which is an elevated experience. But we think it's the the trigger that's that's the thing that we're craving. Um, And so that leads us to what's called outcome-oriented fulfillment, where we we derive our fulfillment from external sources. 
And the problem with this, as, as nice and as beautiful as it is, that we can get pleasure out of Netflix and out of our Spotify and out of our ice cream and out of our movies and out of our gym sessions. But what, what is happening here is that there's a dependency and we're losing sovereignty because the, the external world is unstable and inconsistent. So if we derive our fulfillment and pleasure from the external world, let's just say, if I meet someone and they say they like me, then I feel happy. Mm. But then at some point they might say, I don't like you anymore then our happiness is going to be removed. Yeah. Or if we get it from getting a new dress or a new shirt or a new suit, but then that happiness will wear away because that won't be new for very long. Mm -hmm. And so we have this instability and inconsistency with our happiness because the uncertainty of these outcomes is just not there. So what we want to do is we want to claim that back and we want to find a sovereignty. And what happens when we meditate is, like I said about those biochemistry, biochemicals where the oxytocin, the serotonin, which are the bliss chemicals. They're the fulfillment chemicals that are in the body, the biochemicals. And oxytocin, the biochemical for love, serotonin, the biochemical for happiness. When we bring those two together, and it's been proven that when we meditate, we start to increase more of those biochemicals in our bloodstream. And that's ultimately claiming back our sovereignty by giving us an internal experience that you cultivate yourself through that deep rest that comes in meditation. So now it gives us the ability to be in the world be sovereign in our state of fulfillment and happiness regardless of the outcomes and yeah. so now we've got this freedom from the need for the outcomes to be all lined up in a particular way for me to finally feel happy mm. and the thing with happiness is that we can have nine out of ten things in our life lined up that are the source of our fulfillment we've got someone that loves us we've got a good job our hairstyle's looking good today the weather's pretty good um, our kids are all healthy and then it can be one thing out of those 10 things can move out of place. Let's just say you catch a cold or your kid gets sick or someone dings into the back of your car. There'll be one thing out of 20 different things that you need to have lined up to make you happy. And only one thing moves out of place and your happiness can be removed and stolen from you in a nanosecond. Yeah. And this leaves us very vulnerable. Yeah. It's like that negative bias that our brain mm -hmm um primed for i heard the analogy once i don't know if actually maybe it was um maybe it was on a tom knowles podcast i was listening to i think and i think he talks about the cockroach in the salad and how you know if you have a salad there and there's a cockroach in it of course you're not going to eat that salad because you're focusing on that one bad thing but then if there was a bowl of um a whole bowl of cockroaches and one bit of chocolate it's not like you're going to go and eat the chocolate in there either. So, you know, we're always going to focus on that negative bias, but when we can just be filling up our cup more through meditation, it's so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. And so I actually have, you know, when I suggest for clients to be doing meditation, a lot of the time the things that I hear is that, oh, I can't meditate, I think too much, my mind takes over. So how do we kind of overcome this? Because obviously that's what our mind is meant to do, right? It's made to actually think. Yeah. Look, I think firstly we've got to start to bring, because meditation is fairly new to the mainstream, and it's kind of been bandied around there and people can access it in any way, shape and form, YouTube and mm. online courses and apps and all sorts of things. 
Mm. I think if we really treat it with the respect that it deserves, because this is one of the most important things you could possibly learn in life. Uh, and it's the thing that will stay with you for life. So you're really investing in a long term. You know, I, I've been doing this for 26 years. I learned this mm. in person with a teacher 26 years ago. I think the primary and best pathway to learn meditation is that you find a qualified teacher, ideally in your area, that's going to take you through a process because there's a lot to take on when you learn meditation. There's a lots of ins and outs. There's a lot of science, a lot of, um, you know, philosophy that comes with that, that really helps you to integrate and understand it. So firstly, don't dither and dather around and say, oh, I tried to empty my mind, it didn't work. I tried to focus on my breath. That was too hard. Um, find a, a mechanism or a, a method of meditation that you resonate with, because there's multiple different ways to learn to meditate and find a teacher that in that tradition or that practice that you really resonate with that will teach you in a course that's actually a structured meditation trained course. Mm -hmm. um, if you can't find a teacher in your area, and I'd look up if you want to go deeper in meditation, certainly something like Vedic meditation or transcendental meditation or primordial sound technique. Yeah. If you can't find a teacher in that area, find a teacher in that tradition that does teach and ask them, um, maybe they might travel and come and teach you if they've if there's a group of people willing to learn with you in in conjunction like i did with you yeah that's in, what happened yeah so that's something and then even then if you can't find that to happen then um there's some other modalities where you can learn through programs online and yeah. then that that's the next best option yeah because i think a lot of people try doing meditation on some of the apps that you can download for free and i know when i first started meditating and i would do that and I don't know. Sometimes I think that some of the guided meditations can be nice, but I also think it it can be just a distraction as well. Um, you know, where you're listening to the person talking in the nice voice and doing that type of thing. And I think that what I found when I reflected on it after doing more Vedic meditation more consistently is that I think I probably wasn't really <laughs> processing or maybe not doing anything in that time other than just listening to the nice words. I don't think it was having the same effect as um, as doing the Vedic meditation, the more deep stuff. Yeah, not to discredit other practices, you know, it's with absolute mm -hmm. integrity we respect the role for all types of meditation and that's whether they're digital programs, apps or in-person but what I find is that we um, we want to really explore what it is that we want to get out of the meditation. Look, sometimes I'll do some some chakra work where I'll focus on my heart chakra or my base chakra or my root chakra. Sometimes I do gratitude. Sometimes I do visualization. But for me, what's really critical, what I teach is that in amongst that, mm -hmm. to have a core practice that gives us the experience of a deep transcendent experience. Now, just to give people some clarity what that means to transcend, because it's a bit... yeah might be a bit out there for some people what that means is that to have an experience where you're awake and conscious but you're not having a thought and the big question is well who am i if i'm awake and conscious and not having a thought and that's what we've got to start exploring and this four states we have thinking dream state and deep sleep that we um, move through and oscillate through on a daily basis but the dream state and thinking state both revolve around you you're the center of all your thoughts and your dreams deep sleep, you're unconscious. So it's kind of like just a deep unconscious state of rest. Mm -hmm. But in this fourth state, to experience you uh, as, uh, as, as consciousness itself, two things happen when we're not thinking. One is 
we're free of the ego and the construct that's thinking that's the thinker and that's the thing that's in the future and the past the right and the wrong the good and the bad and all those things that cause disturbance in your emotional state your worries your anxieties your traumas um mm. your excitations we really free ourselves for a while of all of that drama and, and story um and we also expand our mind in this incredible state of conscious awareness it's really quite dynamic and quite profound and it's the source of all creativity and all potential lies in this field of intelligence that's not in the thinking mind. So the analogy I like to use is it's kind of like the iOS system is in the phone and it's a program that's been put in by other people into the phone system. And that's like our program is put into our brain by our genetics, our conditioning, our society, our life experiences. But the phone also has the capacity to access the field of intelligence that's outside the phone. And that's through the entire wide world of information in the web and that's not in the phone that's the phones in it and so that field of intelligence and creative potential is what our mind is in when we open it up in this meditation experience this podcast is sponsored by my fix your pcos online program have you been diagnosed with pcos but not getting any results do you suspect you have PCOS, but you're not sure or you can't get answers? Are you suffering from irregular or missing periods, acne breakouts, weight gain, excess facial hair? Have you tried so many solutions, but nothing works and you're considering going back on the pill or heavy acne medication? If you're interested in natural evidence-based treatments for PCOS, then get in touch with me today. The second thing is, what happens when our mind is in this state of deep transcendence is the physiological levels of rest are so profound that it's much, much deeper than sleep. And we see incredible physiological reorganization that happens in the body where down to a cellular level, the body starts to optimize and upgrade itself. And we start to see much, much greater harmony and cohesiveness in the physiological level of the body um, yeah. through the deep rest that we get in that meditation experience. Yeah, so the healing can actually yeah. happen because yeah. you can't heal when you're in that fight or flight, um, running from the tiger all the time. Yeah, and it's hard for you, you know, you as a naturopath and people out there that are nutritionists and people mm. working with the body, um, trying to work with people's bodies that haven't yet yeah. gone through that decreasing of the stress response because, you know, you can do as much as you can to get them to eat healthy foods, but if they're still having that stress response, it's going to be difficult to create change. Yeah, that's right. And I, that's why I kind of talk to a lot of my clients about their work and all of this and, you know, kind of explain it like that too, that if you're in this job that you either hate or that you're going to and that is really stressful every single day and, you know, doing night shifts or all of these things that can just create more and more stress and inflammation in the body. It's yeah. You can only do so much like pushing something uphill, you know, mm -hmm. it can work so much better if you can release some of that stress response and get into the healing state, get into that rest and digest mode, which is what you get into when you go into deep meditation. Right. Yeah. And when, when we start to feel internally good, because our biochemistry is changing, our body's calmer, there's a more co cohesiveness, more order. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, we are naturally com um, compelled to seek external experiences that are congruent with our internal experience. 
So if I'm feeling healthy and aligned and harmonious with inside myself, and someone says, you know, maybe the Big Mac and the chica roll and the deep fried chips and whatever else you're eating might not be the best option. And the naturopath suggests maybe we might try these modalities, these different strategies, these different diets. Then the, the person who's got an internal experience of wellness is going to go, yeah, that makes sense. Like I can really connect with that. And I feel much more congruent and aligned with that. And that's just a natural process for me to go in and start to follow that guideline that you've got there for me. Yeah, that makes so much sense. It's like when you're, when you're, a lot of people say to me that, you know, when they're feeling out of control and then one bad thing happens in the day and then it's like, oh, stop it. Today's ruined. I may as well just spiral. And, you know, I think that when you're starting your day off right, it can just help you to make those good choices for your body and be in that state of mind for healing as well. Yeah, I always liken this uh, story of a, a colleague of mine that I used to work with. Um, he's a funny old kid and um, he'd have these massive benders. I mean, I would too, but this was way after <laughs> I was having these benders. But um, I used to remember that uh, he'd have these massive benders and be out all night and then come in in the morning with two meat pies and a can of Coke, right? At oh. literally 7.30 in the morning. And he'd be, I don't know where you get the pies from, but somewhere in Sydney was selling pies at 7.30 in the morning, one of those cheap milk bars. And he'd come in with two meat pies and a can of Coke because after a big night out, there's a congruency mm. with what he's putting in his body and what his state his body is in, right? And so he's craving that. But there'd be days when he wouldn't have benders and we had personal trainers at work. They provided us Tuesdays and Thursdays, these personal trainers. Mm. And he'd go off with these personal trainers. And he'd come back from the personal trainer with a bowl of salad, <laughs> right? Because his body was now crying out for something healthy, right? And so I always think back to this, that it's a great sort of metaphor for, for health and wellness is that if we can be healthy inside ourselves, feel good, treat our body well, we will naturally spontaneously, and this creates a spiral, start mm -hmm. to yearn and be aligned with the external choices that make us more congruent with, with something that goes into our body. Yeah, that's so true. And so I have a question about um, when you first start meditating and it can be hard sometimes to get in, get new things into your routine. So do you think that, do you think that you should um, kind of really try to put those two meditations in per day, even if you don't feel like it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's critical. I really like this book by Stephen King. It's called On Writing, and it was all about how he became a successful writer. And he actually takes you through his process. And one thing that he emphasized was that even if you have no creative impulses at all that day, if you have no interest in writing, no matter what you do, is you sit down and you put pen to paper or put fingers to keypads on your typing um, machine. And so your typewriter. And so I think the same thing applies to our meditation. It's... Mm -hmm. Of course, the days you feel least like doing it, the days you probably are most stressed, the days you probably have the least amount of time for it, they're the days that it's critical that we, we put mm -hmm. some time aside. And it's really about a long-term investment. It's like saying, oh, I don't want to invest in my super today. You know, it's like if we, if we play the long game, then we'll see huge benefits come from that. And it just comes down to daily discipline, daily structure. Yeah, and even if it feels uncomfortable, because I guess it's just rewriting all of those patterns and 
if you've never done something in your life before, it's just something new. But then when you can start to get the the benefits of it, it goes into that positive spiral, like you said before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. I was just wondering about that because I was wondering if, yeah, if it should be that balance between listening to your body, but then, you know, when you can convince yourself of something like, oh, I just need to listen to my body today. I don't feel like meditating. And then you can kind of convince yourself that (laughs) staying in bed is better. (laughs) I think the hard thing is in our world, we've become very conditioned to take the fastest route to happiness, which Mm -hmm. is fine. Um, you know, we, we have this incredible capacity to provide incredible levels of charm and pleasure in our life. We have Uber Eats, we have, you know, um, you know, people delivering things to our door all the time that give us this immediate fix of fulfillment. But this comes back to our command fulfillment, that it, it's, it's becoming an insatiable appetite that we just can't, it's an itch we can't scratch and, and make go away. And so um, this is the problem in the world today is that we are constantly craving these short-term pleasurable gains, but it's coming at a huge price in that we're having greater and greater levels of unhappiness and greater and greater levels of imbalances. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to really start stripping ourselves back to what is the ultimate purpose of life. And it's not to get the most accessible short-term pleasure. Um, a bottle of KFC and a bottle of Coke is, is you know, for some a short-term pleasure, but what are the long-term ramifications of that? And we've got to play the long game here and start thinking about our preferences and priorities because in each moment we have competing preferences and that is a competing preference of one thing over another thing or multitude of things that are going to create the most amount of elevation in your life. And this is one thing I teach my students is to really think about each individual moment you have competing preferences that are vying for your long-term sustainability, your health, your happiness, and play the long game here and think, okay, look, meditation as opposed to getting 15 more emails done or watching another episode on Netflix or scrolling through Instagram might not provide the most instantaneous short-term pleasure, but what is my long-term investment here? And then I think when we start to get a lot more mindful about that, we can really prioritise and preference better quality of life by by having better um, choices in what we do with our time. Yeah, that's so true. And how do you find meditation helps people like your students that you've seen or yourself even in their relationships, whether it's romantic relationships or friendships? Do you find it, obviously it would be beneficial, but how do you find that? Yeah, it's a really complex one because one would assume that it's going to make all your relationships better you'd like to think that's the case mm-hmm. and it will definitely um, help many of your relationships flourish but some relationships will come under pressure so i don't want to scare people away but relationships thrive on unity yeah. on connection um, you can have two very stressed angry cranky people um, that get on really well <laughs> um, they, they can fight all the time they can have arguments all the time they can throw pots and pans all the time and they can have an amazing relationship because they're having a lot of connection and they've got a lot of commonality now you can have one person that is wants to listen to metallica and death metal and go to um you know be up on playing mortal combat or whatever those death games are on computers um till four in the morning and um listen to horrible music in the background and eating shitty food um and you can have two people doing that but if one of them decides hmm actually 
I've had enough of this. I want to start meditating. I'm going to go to bed early. I'm going to get up and go to yoga. I'm going to eat lots of healthy, healthy food. I'm going to listen to pan flutes or Tibetan bowls. as <laughs> my preferred choice of music. That's going to cause some conflict in the relationship. It's going to cause some divide. Mm. And it, you, that relationship is going to come under pressure. We see this after people do meditation workshops or retreats. Sometimes they're like, oh, uh, hang on a sec. Like we're now quite different. And so it is something that I support my clients with on how to navigate through that complexity. But what we want to do is we want to be inspirational mm. and we want to lead by example and we want to emanate and illuminate and embody the attributes and the qualities that we'd like to see other people start to embrace as well. And the only way we can do that is by living and breathing it. And sometimes there's a little bit of a gap between you embracing this new modality and that person still wanting to eat the KFC and listen to death metal and play Mortal Kombat. But yeah. over time, they might be inspired only because they can see you living and breathing it. Mm. And that might inspire them to potentially change the way they're doing things. And I love that scene when, uh, when Harry met Sally and Meg Ryan's doing the fake orgasm in the cafe and those two ladies gay say, I want what she's having. <laughs> and I think that's the best we can do here is to just yeah. you know, be inspirational and live and breathe something that looks like it stacks up over time as, mm -hmm. as a pathway that might be worth exploring. Yeah, cool. That makes that makes a lot of sense because I guess people can, um, yeah, get comfortable in relationships, whether it's romantic relationships or friendships as well, and you all just do the same thing and hang out at the same place and eat the same food. And then I feel like that's also when people become resistant to change sometimes when they feel like, oh, this new thing that I'm doing is causing a divide with my partner or with my friends. So should I, should I be doing that? And then it can sometimes make them second guess too. We have to understand that everything is, everything is a function of evolution. Uh, and evolution is uh, a consistent um, the way it unravels is inconsistent, but it is a consistent, that force of evolution, everything must evolve, everything must grow, everything must change. And where we, we have a lot of struggles in life, um, in our individual state, in our relationships, in our businesses, in civilization as a whole, is that resistance to that process, resistance to that change, resistance to adaptivity. And that if we're not supporting evolution in our relationship, that relationship will come under pressure. So the relationship isn't there for you to have a hunky-dory experience. That relationship is there for evolution. And if you're not in some way, shape or form abiding to those principles of evolution in the relationship, that means that you two should be supporting each other in your growth, in your progress. Mm -hmm. Then if you are doing that, then it will be supported and it will be sustainable. If there's defiance of that or resistance to that, it will get uncomfortable and it will be painful. And it comes down to that one simple thing. Is your business evolving? Are you evolving? Is your relationship evolving? Is society, is civilization evolving? If it's not, then it will get brutally uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. That's what needs to happen, if that's what needs to happen. Yeah. It just highlights everything, doesn't it? And yeah. makes things shine a little bit, I guess, a little bit faster than maybe what they would have when there's that divide between people too. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And I guess the same for jobs and like I see a lot of my clients quitting their job, leaving their marriage, moving countries, all of these things. Once they start feeling better in themselves, it's kind of like you can see the possibilities for so many things. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, you'll find the vision starts to open up and you see um, all these interesting things that are possibilities in your life. Yeah, so great. Thank you so much for your insights, Tom. It's been such a good conversation. It's always great to chat with you and connect in. Yeah. Where can everyone find you? Is Instagram the best place? Yeah, Instagram is where I'm most active. You know, I'm responsive uh, there. I respond to all my messages and engage. If anyone wants to reach out anytime, I'm more than happy to receive a message. Um, My website is where they can find all my details about my work. Um, And so both of them are just Tom Cronin, uh, tomcronin.com for the website and Tom Cronin for the Instagram handle. Yeah. And so that's for meditation, um, weekends, meditation retreats, coaching, all of the above. Yeah, all of the above. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Tom. Pleasure. Great to be here. And hopefully I hear from you all at some point soon. Thank you. so much for listening to this episode of the conscious health and life podcast please share this episode with your friends subscribe to this podcast and give us a five-star review you can also follow me on instagram at ellen naturopath for more have an amazing day